This is the first podcast for this month in astronomy. Say hello, Carson. Hey, it's uh, October edition, so we'll be going over events and uh, studies in October, and then we'll probably end it off with uh, going over some events coming up in November. All right, would you like to start us off with some events, or? Uh, You probably had more events than I did. I probably did. All right. So for October 7th through 8th, we have the uh, Draconids meteor shower. That's when it hits its peak. Um, It's not a super active meteor shower, but the night sky peak, you should still be able to see 10 to 20 meteors per hour. Mm. Um, On the 13th and 14th, Venus and the moon pass really close together. Um, Venus rises at about... 4 a.m. It says here. So, yeah. Up earlier in the morning, and um, it says here that it will be within a couple degrees, so quite close. And then October 20th through the 21st is the Orionid meteor shower peak. Yeah. So, that's also about 20 meteors per hour. The best viewing is after midnight, but the moon will be quite close which means you may not see as many as yeah we we actually went out on that week or on a Wednesday I think it was mm-hmm. we went out and did our observations this month and we looked for it but the city of Fayetteville's light pollution was uh, but you did much. spot one I, I did spot, you did spot one I spot I spotted one but for the most part uh, the city of Fayetteville was blocking out our view of <laughs> Orion and the, the meteors yes And then the 22nd, which was also the night we went out, was um, the night that Jupiter, Saturn, and the moon form a triangle. Yeah, we did observe that too. Yes. I think I have a picture I took as well that I can attach. Um, And it says that on Halloween there was a rare full moon, which I've had friends that were freaking out about the full moon on Halloween. I thought that was funny. Yes, it was a blue moon. So the second full moon in the month, which is nice. Very cool. And the last time a full moon was visible to everyone on the world in Halloween was uh, 1944. So this was a long time ago, and it won't happen again till 2039. So hmm. we've got we've got some time to wait. Yeah. All right, would you like to move on to... Yeah, so uh, October studies in uh, theoretical physics and stuff. So uh, Betelgeuse is smaller and closer than first thought. Um, uh, a study was uh, done uh, looking at Betelgeuse after it was uh, pulsating, and it had dimmed twice since 2019. And um, this uh, prompted speculation uh that it could explode soon, so studies were, uh, it, the star was reevaluated, um, and they found out that it is uh, 25% smaller than they originally thought, and it was only 503 light years um, away from, from us. Oh, actually, I had that 25% closer than we thought, and um, it doesn't say where how how much bigger it was, but it's seven hundred and fifty times the radius of our sun. 
Mm. So, yeah, and they they're speculating that um, with their observations and stuff, uh, they're giving it a, about a hundred thousand years before it uh, eventually explodes. <laughs> That's a lot, lot later than what they were predicting earlier, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll have to wait a little while for that one as well. So was there a shrink in size of the star? Uh, yes, there were. It says it was only 750 radius of the sun. I don't know exactly how big they said it was originally. Uh. So I wonder if the size decrease could be because of uh, it getting ready to explode, or if yeah, that's what if they were saying. They just their initial measurements were just wrong. <laughs> yeah, their their original comparison saying that they suggested it was bigger than the orbit of Jupiter, and then they're wow. comparing that to 750 times the radius of the sun. And so, okay, not exactly sure how that yeah. adds up, but nonetheless, it's smaller than we originally thought. Hmm. Nice. And then on we have on October. 23rd, um, NASA's, I don't even know how to pronounce that, but their mission team received on Thursday images that confirmed that one of their spacecrafts had landed on an asteroid and had collected a significant amount of material. Um, it says two ounces, which is like, I don't know, that that's like 60 grams. So that's Really not a lot. You would expect it to be more. Definitely. But, I mean, for the amount that they can collect with the tools that they have on that lander, I mean, that is a lot for what they have. Very cool. Um, so this material, this was like, they sent this spacecraft out there, and the main goal of the mission was to acquire at least two ounces of material, but they predicted that it would take a lot longer than it actually did. So it was quite surprising actually when they got these images back that said that they had collected enough material. So does that does that uh, spacecraft go and find other asteroids to do it or did, is this just a one-time deal? You know? uh, it's probably just a one-time deal because it would be very difficult to relaunch the space yeah. thingy mabob. The, mm. Yeah. So, all right. Um, okay. We had. I uh, also found uh, an article on um, scientists' research on lithium rift stars, which had originally been thought to be red giant stars, mm -hmm. but they are actually considered red clumps. Red clumps. Yes. the The difference is mainly just <laughs> in the uh, the the beat the heartbeat of the star and mm -hmm. uh, the core difference, and so from what I. Uh, from what, I've from what I've read, the uh, the lithium stars have just a helium core burning, but um, which makes them a red clump, I guess. And mm -hmm. the just the regular red giants are uh, uh, with without the lithium richness uh, have hydrogen burning around helium core. So I'm guessing that affects the the heartbeat of mm -hmm. the star, which uh, gave them like a difference. Do you know how they detected this, the change? Uh, I, 
I'm assuming, uh, I think I read it was through Waves. I'm not sure exactly what Waves it was from. But they, mm-hmm. they focused on them. Uh, they couldn't, like, uh, immediately tell, um, like, visually the difference between Red Giants yeah. and Clumps. But they, they found some lithium stars and uh, did some more research on those. Interesting. Yeah. It says only 1% of uh, the total number low mass uh, stars are actually lithium rich. So Really? It was a So they're quite rare. Yeah, they are different. Interesting. For sure. And when was that posted? Uh, they posted it on October 5th in uh, mm. uh, Nature Astronomy. All right. And then we have on the 30th of October marked the uh, 20-year anniversary of humans living on board the International Space Station. Um, the space station is still in great shape, better than NASA actually thought it would be at this point in time. So being that it is so complex and obviously we spent a lot of money on it, NASA is very glad that it's doing well. Um, is, that, is that because of like space debris and stuff running into it? That yeah. Concerned about the yeah. well-being of it? That and just all the equipment, like it's being used constantly. So they didn't think it would hold up for as long as it has. Um, mm. Since it flies at like 17,000 miles per hour just around the planet, any nice. little collision it has with anything does a lot of damage. So mm. we are very lucky to have it still in great health. Very nice. You ready to move on, move on to, to the... November? All right. Well, I actually have one more uh, article that I've read. This one, I'm very, mm, I don't know, it's hard to comprehend for me. I don't know much about black holes and understand them very much, but um, they found a, uh, using telescopes, uh, scientists have found galaxies trapped in the web of a supermassive black hole. So from my understanding, the black hole holds um, is fueled by gas, uh, gases in the uh, around it, and it looks like a spider web. Hmm. And those gases remain around it and feed it. And there are several galaxies that are within it. And m- most impressively, uh, they've said that it happened um, a billion, less than a billion years after the universe was formed. So, oh wow! So we're so, looking at something far away. Yeah, it was very far away. Okay. They said it was the f- one of the. I think it, it's either the faintest or second faintest galaxies. Wow! <laughs> this year, I think it's very, very far away. How did they see it? Oh, they used. They actually had. I think it was a seven-hour observation <laughs> with multiple of the highest. There's a long list of. Um, uh, telescopes they used wow so they used a lot that's they, really cool they had a very long observation period too and they did that because they wanted to confirm that there was a black hole there so mm-hmm. they were studying the pat uh like the uh galaxies there and four of them um led them to believe that there was a supermassive black hole in the middle of that so very cool 
Wow, that's cool. Well, I'm I'm ready to move on to November. Uh, All right, do you want. have events pulled up or? I have a few. Okay. So I guess I'll start off then, and just we'll kind of go from there. All right. So on November fourth, we have the moon, and it is passing the uh, shoe buckle cluster, which would be all night. Yeah, um, I see that. Yes. This is kind of something you have to wait for each year. It happens around this time. And then um, November 5th, we also have the uh, Southern Torrinids meteor shower. Um, it looks like the peak for this will be around 1 a.m. And you will get around 10 per hour, which is pretty low. But, I mean, you can't expect much from the Torrinids. <laughs> and then November 8th is going to be your last quarter moon, so... That just tells you where we are. And then November 12th is the Northern Tornids Meteor Shower, which is 15 per hour, so up a little bit from the past shower. Also peaks around 1 a.m. All right. Um, it says, I uh, found that Mercury is at its longest, or its greatest western elongation. Nice. In the morning. So I'm guessing, so I mean, it's... Uh, Visible, it's 58% illuminated. Waxing so, gibbous phase, too. That's ooh, interesting. Nice. So is that on the 12th? Uh, that's on the 10th. On the 10th, okay. Of November. Oh, yes, you're right. Also found another interesting one. On the 15th, uh, Mars appears to reverse direction. Oh. And that's, I, I thought that was interesting. It, it reminded me of uh, uh, one of our lessons earlier in the year in this class where... We were learning about the uh, pre-Renaissance astronomers and some of the goofy things they did to try to, like, um, <laughs> uh, evidence or, like, proof of why Mars did that. And so they were just doing random loops. Some of the planets were in their diagrams. I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, but and it looks like... what this is. It looks like um, it's actually... So in November 15th, this would be when the ending of that retrograde loop actually happens so that means it's been in retrograde it's been yeah. going backwards and then on the 15th is when it resumes its prograde which basically means it's moving how we expect i wonder when that started it doesn't really say here no it doesn't say when it starts we can find out easy why don't you go ahead and look that up oh, while I am. <laughs> on the 17th of november we also have the leonids meteor shower um, this is actually a lot of meteor showers for the month of November um, the peak will come at around 2300 GMT on Tuesday um, it doesn't say oh 20 meteors per hour is what is predicted alright so going back to the uh, Mars's reverse direction. Uh, it says the retrograde starts on September 13th, so that was actually a while ago. Okay, yeah. So then until the 15th is whenever. Yeah, it's... so it's in retrograde for, what, about two months? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Cool. Uh... And then let me see. There's something else as well. So that Neptune does the same thing, but... Uh, mm -hmm. on a much smaller scale and definitely the 
early astronomers were not able to see that. But same same concept. Uh, November twenty eighth is whenever uh, Neptune changes its course. So. Nice. That's about all I had. Do you have anything else? Uh, one last thing. So on Monday, which is November thirtieth, um, there will be a full Beaver Moon and a penumbral lunar eclipse, which the maximum will be at around 9.44 GMT. Um, since it's penumbral, it won't turn fully red like you expect during lunar eclipses, wow. but you will see the Earth's shadow go over it. So 83% um, of the moon's disk will be within the Earth's penumbral shadow, so it will darken significantly in the sky. What, what time of the day is that? Um, so it s starts, or no, it peaks at uh, 944 GMT, and then oh, it ends at 1153, so. Hmm. Cool. Well, I think nice. that's it for this month in Astronomy Podcast, Volume yes. 1. Yes, Volume 1, there will be and we will get McCray on board for... Special guest next time up here. <laughs> Special guest, All of right. course. Well, it's been fun, and it has. Uh, we'll see you guys later.